Listener supported. WNYC Studios. You had me at bitch face. <laughs> I love I love the title. I think that I love the attitude. I thought your pitch was great. Let's say you have an idea for a podcast that you think is undeniably genius. How do you convince someone else that it's amazing? Enough to get them to actually back you. Five podcasters took that risk during a live, fast-paced pitching session in front of an audience judged by women at various studios. Our judges included Carrie Hoffman from PRX, Pineapple Street's Jenna Weiss-Berman, NPR's Nigeri Eaton, and WNYC Studios' Paula Schumann. Our moderator was independent producer Anayansi Diaz-Cortez, and I am Sarah Gonzalez, host of the Work It podcast, recorded live at WNYC's Festival for Women in Audio. My name is Anayansi Diaz-Cortez, and I am now um, your MC slash host for this session called Pitch Time. And I'm really excited to be a part of this because it's really unique to have four, I feel like I need to take this off, but because we have four unique podcast powerhouses right here, women that are creative and entrepreneurial. And today it's really special to get um, this opportunity to see how their brain works and how they make decisions. Um, I'm an independent producer, so I've been around the block in terms of pitching. I know how crazy making it feels to pitch how important it is to stay pithy and calm and get that rambly idea down to an elevator pitch. So I want to honor the five pitchers you're going to meet right today because it really takes a pair of ovaries to do this, especially for a live audience. So yeah, to the pitchers! Um, So just to give you just some... um, Some framework, five pitchers were chosen from dozens of submissions to present to our judges slash panelists. There's no judging for the record, but it sounds more exciting. Um, So I will introduce each presenter to you. This is Nigeri Eaton. She is the Senior Manager of Program Acquisition for NPR. Um, And Nigeri, so what do you look for in a pitch? Um, I look for someone to say something that I either haven't heard before, I haven't heard it put in that way. Like that moment of like, that excitement of like, I haven't heard this before is rare. And so when you get it, you're just like, all right, I'm on top of this idea. I want to hear more. I've actually pitched to Nigeria before and did not get that. <laughs> That's why though. Um, she's very gracious though. Next is, <laughs> um, um, next we have, oh my God, you guys are out of order. It's Paula. Paula. Yes, Paula. Yes, you're like a card four. Sorry. <laughs> Paula Schumann. This is the, the VP of on-demand content at WNYC. What do you look for? Um, in the Paula. I look for... Uh, closer, closer. People who know how to use a microphone. Um, <laughs> I look for uh, people who know WNYC studios, who, fe- who are coming because they feel like they're a good fit for our portfolio, they know who we are, and they can sort of show that in their pitch. I also look for brevity. I feel like you should be able to tell me what your show is in one sentence, basically, and I think that shows that you also have a, a mind that can, um, if you can, if you can pitch me your show tightly and quickly, then I kind of, all, I'm already beginning to trust your judgment and your editorial sensibility. So those are two of, of many things. Thank you. Next, we have Jenna Weiss-Berman. She's the co-founder of Pineapple Street Media. What do you look for, Jenna? 
right now we're kind of looking for pretty specific things. Um, we're doing a lot of short run, like very deeply reported series uh, in the, over the next year. So we are looking for really amazing stories um, and not necessarily for like a weekly forever kind of show. And lastly, we have Carrie Hoffman. She's the CEO of Public Radio Exchange of PRX. What do you look for, Carrie? Well, for us, we're actually not looking for ideas. I mean, I think the way that we define the work that we do is we're looking, like we, we're looking to create a platform for talent. So we're just, we're looking for talent that has an open mind to evolve what they're working on and it's not rigid. The rigidity of ideas, I think, is actually one of the hardest to work with. And so that's, that's how we approach what, what, the way that we're looking at new ideas, new things, new people. Thank you. Is it totally distracting back there? I, I feel bad for our pitchers. No way to make them. Okay, so here are the rules and guidelines. So pitchers will have five minutes or less to present pitches that cover their concept, their target audience, talent like engineer, editor, their production plan, and their budget. But I think most important, important why we're here and what, what our pitchers have to kind of bring home is why it's essential listening. Um, this is the first time our panel will ever hear this. So, um, so everything you're seeing is like happening live. There's been no, they haven't been given any guidelines or pitches or one-liners or anything. So nothing in advance. You know, the ideas that the panel will offer, you know, feedback, honest feedback that's helpful to make the pitches better, of course. But our mission is to give you guys, the audience, and you know, potential podcasters or podcasters a real insight in how these decisions get made, how, how you marry the creative and the business and, and how these women see that and, yeah, and kind of bring that home to their, to their broadcasters and companies. So our, pic our pictures will have a counting clock down to their allotted five minutes. And when they have 10 seconds left, they will hear this very dramatic kind of shark tank thing. That we work really hard on. Um, just so you know. And there we go. I like that. That is legit Drama. terrifying. I said yeah, theatrical, yeah. yeah. Wow. Hi, drama. That's very so, good. So first up we have me first up we have Misha Youssef and she's pitching beginner. Yay! Can I can I just say something? Yes. Um, I just wanted to um, admit that I have actually been nervous about this uh, panel all day, and it's not because of our role, because we have actually the easiest role here, and I'm in awe at the women who are actually pitching in front of all of you for your, for your benefit. <laughs> it's, not, it's not really our benefit, but I've been nervous for them, and so uh, what you just did is exactly the one antidote to nerves, which is loud applause for yes. each of them that come out, because we have to do, I mean, I really believe in radical candor in these situations, and so we need you to counter that with great applause. So, and I, 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 just, I just want to say, Carrie, 
Thank you, Carrie. I just I, can I say one thing, uh, Carrie? Just for, I, I, just I, I so we were going to have give you your we were going to have like the voice style seat, so oh, like yeah. turn around yeah. and we could just like snap it. <laughs> oh God! But we yeah. also believe in radical empathy. I, I, this is and not so how pictures are normally it. made. Okay, yeah. sorry. This is unusual. <laughs> so we must be kind. Thank you. Wait, let me. Let me give you your intro line, Misha. Sorry. I'm kidding. Sorry, I'm throwing off the game here. I'm so sorry. So Misha is a Pakistani-American radio producer whose podcast beginner has been featured on The Guardian, The Big Listen, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Pocket Cases. She's a graduate of Transom and the Medill School of Medill School of Journalism. I can never pronounce that. Hi, I'm Misha Youssef. Uh, I moved here, that's our really cute logo, um, I moved here from Karachi, Pakistan in 2003 and I showed up here when I was 11 years old and I showed up with a unibrow, a mustache and a baggy pair of pants <laughs> and this was before baggy pants were trendy. So I came to Southern California where it seemed like everybody around me was blonde and straight out of a magazine. And I was terrified. I literally spent the first few years of being in America getting rid of my accent and learning how to dress like a normal person. I think I've done a pretty good job. <laughs> Great overalls. Thank you, thank you. I stick to one piece outfits now because it's a lot less thinking. Um, but once I got that figured out, I realized that I missed these essential parts of an American childhood like learning how to ride a bike. And so 14 years later, I've decided that I'm going to learn all of those things. And I created a podcast, Beginner, about learning to belong as an immigrant in America. Every episode, I learn a new activity. Here's what I know before I get on the bike today. I know how to balance a bike. <laughs> no, it's not too, oh, they're perfect. No, no, I got it, I got it, now I got it. I just need to do that. I got it. Let go, let go, let go. I can't turn. All right, now you turn left. Turn, turn left. left? Turn no, left I can't again. turn left. I can't turn left. I can't turn left. Turn left. You have... No, 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 no. Mish, you have enough room. <laughs> I can't turn left. Mish, you actually I'm totally... I'm just going to go up there. <laughs> All right, ready? Now we're going to turn left. No! Wait, I'm going to run into... You're not going to run into anything. It's going too fast. <laughs> so, it's terrifying. With five episodes out, Beginner has been averaging about a thousand downloads an episode. Uh, we've been featured in major outlets and on homepages of Spotify and Apple Podcasts. And our listeners are all of you. They skew female and millennial. And most of them are in America, but we have an international audience. We have people listening in places like Israel, Turkey, Iran, uh, Iraq and Brazil. And with these listeners, we have been using a financial model of advertising so far, but eventually with future seasons, Beginner can expand into TV, film, uh, pop-up amusement parks, and live, <laughs> live events as wacky as the subject of the podcast, learning an activity in front of a live audience. Like when I threw a concert and faced my biggest fear of singing. Okay. So you go can you do that? Great. So we just this just loosens up loosens up the face and the uh, vocal cords. So you have to do it according to the piano. <laughs> 
Well, <laughs> that's so advanced. <laughs> so, so far, I have been making Beginner all alone. And it's been really cool to see the traction that the podcast has gotten, but it's kind of lonely. And I've been incredibly eager to see how much bigger and more impactful the podcast can be with a talented team of people and with others who are passionate about the immigrant story. One of the things that was really important to me when I started making Beginner was the tone of the podcast. I wanted it to be a story that was playful. I didn't want to focus on the immigrant narrative as a story of pain, loss, and exclusion, but instead as something that was about hope, gain, and belonging. And I want future episodes of Beginner to focus on the stories of other immigrants, first-person narratives you get to be in their shoes. Because belonging is not exclusive to immigrants. Every person in this room has felt what it's like to not know the things the people around you know. And it's important for us to say to each other that we're not alone. Thank you. Wow, good pitch. With 25 seconds left. <laughs> Should we start with you, Nigeri? Is that okay? I can, sure, we, we no. can switch it next time. We can go the other way. Um, first, I want to say and commend you for being the first one out the gate, which is always the hardest role to have. <laughs> and you're like rearing to go, and you're all like just chit-chat, and you're like, let me add it. Sorry. Um, so congrats to that. Um, I, I think um, your, your show sounds really relatable and charming, and I feel like um, uh, there's a potential, a large potential for audience growth because, one, when you said, like, I learned things I didn't learn as a child, I bet you everyone, like, who in this audience was like, there's something I want to learn now that I didn't learn as a child, right? For me, like, I never learned how to do a cartwheel. I don't know, understand how people can, like, hurl themselves to the ground. <laughs> so, like, I immediately relate, even though I'm not an immigrant, right? And so I think, also, when you're talking about your audience, um, you said, it's like, female skewed and we have some international. I think you really need to also think about, like, who do you want your audience to be, right? So, um, because it's not just people who, as you said, are female, but people who, um, who have felt like they're outsiders, but also as immig like immigrants who have felt that. I think I would really always leave with the fact that you're having, telling alternate stories of the immigrant experience that we don't normally hear that aren't kind of always like um, sad and like full of like um, alienation. And I think that's really needed right now. And I'll stop talking because there's Three other people here. Um, yeah, I thought that was a I thought that was a great pitch. I thought it was great because you started by with your story and telling us sort of how you came to the idea. Um, I had a little hard time hearing the audio, but I, I feel like it was strong. Um, <laughs> note to self for next year. Um, uh, and it feels replicable, which is another thing that we look for. Is like can 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 this be done over and over again? Um, some of the questions that I had, um, well, I have two questions. Related to replicability, how do you think about not having it sound the same every time? Yep. So it's like, I learned something, you know, here's me learning something new, or here's somebody else learning something new. I just think that's one of the things I would be thinking about as, I, as I'm, that would be the kind of conversation I would have with you. Um, and I also thought it was interesting, I didn't, when you were telling your story of being um, an immigrant, 
I didn't real, and then you said this is, this is about doing things for the first time. I didn't immediately know that, that it would be, that everybody in it would be coming from the immigrant perspective. And when you said, it's basically what Nigeria said when you said, everybody knows what it's like to not know the things that the people around you know. It felt very relatable, and I felt like when I first, you know, learned to shave my legs, and I thought everybody else did, you know, like you immediately <laughs> think, you thought cartwheels. And I just wonder when you think about the show, in terms of being long-term and having all these different platforms, and I love Pop-Up Amusement Park, I wrote that down. Um, if you would think about it broadening out, it, it starts from you and who you are and your experience, but if you think about whether it could broaden out um, to anybody and any kind of experience, and whether every, and whether, and again on that, whether you think every beginning experience has to end in a, like how to, a success or a failure, I mean, how do you keep it different every week or mm -hmm. season? Yeah, I would say a lot of that same stuff. Um, that that I I like the idea of expanding it. I think if if you're gonna do this as a weekly show, it it you know it can't be def it definitely can't be just about you learning new things. I don't even think that it can be just about immigrants learning new things and having new experiences. I think it has to be about like just people having new experiences. Um, and this is something that we see in pitches all the time that we always ask is like. A lot of people will have like 10 amazing episodes planned. We want to know what, what is your plan for the 100th episode, basically. So that's something to always think about. Um, it was a great pitch. I think that there was like great action in the show, good production. That was exciting to hear. And I think it's also exciting that you're thinking ahead to sort of like the the other like intellectual property potential of it. Um, this is something people are super interested in right now is kind of like a like podcast to TV and film pipeline. And so I think it's a really smart thing to be thinking of where this could go beyond podcasting. I really agree with everything that's been said, but I just want to add a couple things. Um, in terms of your pitch, you did a couple of things like right on, which is you, even though I said that everyone would be nervous, you that was not detectable from you. <laughs> you came out and you had confidence and you, uh, grab the microphone out of the um, out of the podium so that you could own this a little bit. Like all of those things really demonstrate a lot about you and your personality yep. in this kind of artificial environment that we're we're working in. So I thought that was really really great. The questions I had were like, what are the stakes? And I just couldn't quite get that. So I would I would advise you to go back to the drawing board a little bit and think, who am I making this for is only one question, which I felt like you answered that. But the second part of that question is, why do they need it? And I think that you should spend a little time in that space because for podcasts in particular, people really have to want it and they have to find it and they have to go through some hurdles. So the, the struggle that I was having was it's kind of a universal concept that was also unique, and I couldn't figure out which one you were being at which time. And so, for example, like even the bicycle example, like that's probably something some can relate to, but let's say I can't relate to that. Let's say I learned to ride a bike. Why would I not skip that episode and go to another episode? So how do you draw, how, when you're thinking about the 100th episode, how are you pulling people along in a way that says, I can't wait to hear the next one and figure out what they tackle and what the, what that, narrative conflict is that I really care about. And I guess the one other piece of advice is, I think that there's some more interesting stuff to mine about you. 
that I didn't totally hear in the audio that what I did hear and could see from your pitch. And so I would like sort of find, find, get in touch with that a little bit more. So well done. Yeah. Thank you. Now, wait, wait, wait. Misha, come back. Misha, come back. There's come so back. many Misha, 30. Come back. What? <laughs> Sorry. I just want to say one thing, which I think is related to what Carrie was saying. She was about to offer you a job. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's just that um, it's, it seems like the idea is pretty focused on like things you would learn as a typical American childhood, right, or growing up. And actually, I think a flip side of that would actually be really interesting. So, what are things that you would have learned if you had stayed in Pakistan? Oh, yeah. Um, and, like, and that perspective, too, because that's also really interesting. And I think that's like um, that, like, that duality of like being like first generation thing a lot of people struggle with so like you know you can expand not, it not to ruin anything but that was the plan for season two all right <laughs> yeah. thank, you thank you thank you thank you Nigel. sorry so next up we have alisa barba um and she is pitching and she is oh and she is pitching inside energy she has edited different public media collaborations and used to be NPR's Western Bureau Chief. Thank you. Hi, everybody. Hey. Good so I'm supposed to wait for the clock to start. <laughs> That's what it says. It'll start when you start. Maybe you start the clock. No, okay. Maybe. Okay. Yeah. Clock oh. Yeah, are we? <laughs> That should not come out of her time, just I'm saying. Waiting. No, that's not, it's not starting yet. So this, I, I can riff a little bit. This is going to be really different, really, really different from what you just heard. No, I... Okay. Are we okay? Just a little bit of patience here. Sorry, it's not mine. It's on a timer. Okay. Are we ready? Is that me? Yes. Okay. I represent a group of reporters and producers who cover power. Not the kind of power that's running rampant through the halls of the White House these days, but the power that fuels your lives, that fuels your home. We're talking electricity, energy, gasoline, sunbeams, all of it. We are inside energy. We've been doing this for about three years. We supply stories to public TV and public radio on the really spinachy topic of energy. Um, I didn't know anything about it three years ago when I started. What the frack is fracking, anyway? It doesn't sound good. How much of my energy, my electricity comes from coal? I had no idea. Turns out 30% of our country's electricity still comes from coal, and most of it comes from Wyoming, the things I've learned. So here's the thing about energy. It's like this magical, invisible force that fuels our lives. But we don't know anything about it. We don't even ask questions about it. We don't even think about it. But it runs through everything. The environment, the economy, politics, and of course, climate. And the thing is, most of this energy comes from flyover country. The people who make energy live there. They know energy. They are all about energy. Think coal miners, Donald Trump's spirit animals, right? <laughs> so our show is designed to take you deep into energy country to hear the backstory about the people who make the energy that fuels your lives. 11 p.m. on a Friday night, the West Elk Mine opens its gates. Cars and trucks start rolling out. Don Staley's freshly showered in a Denver Broncos ball cap. It's the end of his shift. Leaving the well pad, I feel like a red-eyed gambler walking away from the casino. 
I'm exhausted from 35 straight days of work. And now, there is no work in sight. The money illusions have dissipated. When the snow's flying and your power goes out, instead of staying home in front of the fire, we get called out to come to work. So back in the old days, we used to have a really intimate relationship with energy. We would go out into the woods, chop down a tree, and we'd heat our homes. But now we're, we're disconnected. We're estranged from energy. So what we want to do is bridge the gap between the people and places who make power and all of us who use it. I'm a coal miner's daughter, sister, and a wife three times over. Every time you flip on a switch, every time you get to watch TV, that's what we get. There are things that can interrupt the American dream. What will the law allow us to do to get them back to where they would have been but for the accident? And if we ignore it, if we don't maintain it, it's going to change the quality of life in our country. I'm spoiled. I'm American. I want my power and I want it now. So our podcast is a 20 to 30 minute show every other week. It's aimed at people who are curious about where their power comes from. So it's aimed at everybody, really. Um, and we're going to try some really interesting things with something called data sonification. Check this out. Coal has been up and down since 2010, but you can hear more downs than ups. So high notes, high production, low notes, low production. And in the past year... It fell off a virtual cliff. So we have a team of reporters who will rotate the position of hosts. They're young and they're hip and they're energy savvy and they're public radio nerds. And by the way, I'm, I'm the backstory here. I'm the old school editor who directs this carnival. I'm usually not on stage. <laughs> um, in addition to storytelling, we do live events. We try to de-wonkify energy. We tell stories about uh, booms and busts, and we do energy trivia. And we really like to connect with our audience and connect with the people that we're talking to. And we like to be part of a conversation. Would you be interested in a two-way communicating thermostat in your house? Mm. <laughs> really? I just want a two-way communicating boyfriend at this point. <laughs> so finally, I want to say that this is a little bit of a Hail Mary pass. We've been doing this for about three years, telling these stories that we think are really kind of deeply and urgently needed at this point. But as of December, this project that we've been doing, it's going to shut down its doors. Our funding is gone. So that's bad news, but it's also an opportunity because we can focus now on what we really want to do is to create a show that about that inside energy, a show that about everything that powers, powers everything. Thank you, Lisa. Let's give it up. Thank you. Should we start with Carrie Hoffman, please? Hi, Carrie. Hi. That was awesome. Thank, Thank you. you. Um, I have a couple of thoughts. Uh, I was really intrigued by the use of sound for the data. You know, people are doing data visualization. And um, I thought that was a, a, a cool element. I'm glad you included it in the pitch so that we could kind of get a sense for what that sounded like. I can see lots of application for that and with visual companions and, and that kind of stuff. That, that, was, that was interesting to me. 
I think that there's also not a lot of very great environmental podcasts. I mean, there's a handful of very good environmental podcasts, but it's still a new, newish field. So the thing that I like about this one um, is like when you take big issues like energy or water or like there's like the five big issues that really are truly global in nature, I'm intrigued by that. I think that the, um, the challenge, it, it sounds like you've already experienced some of this, is like how do you take these global issues and really find an audience that's willing to find you, subscribe to you, et cetera. And, one of the things that worked, has worked really well in public radio is appealing to the, uh, like a curious audience. And in podcasting, that audience is really fractured across many, many different interests and things. And so it's a super hard lift without a hook. Mm -hmm. And so, um, so that's what I was looking for when I was, was, what I was listening to. And so I, I do think that your show has a good opportunity to be a content partner with another bigger institution that's reporting on these kind of issues and you can take mm -hmm. your slice of it as you know that's unique and add to it um, I think that otherwise it's it's really hard to yeah. you know really, you know this already yeah yeah. I'll stop then. Okay. Lot, I mean, there, it's I just hard. There's a lot of super wonky podcasts out there on energy and the environment. I, I agree. And I, yeah. I like the idea that you're doing live shows and stuff. I like the content. I mean, it's a really important thing. Yeah. And, and there's, there's a wave of people doing cool technologies in energy. And like it sh mm -hmm. they should yeah. be celebrated and they should be found. Um, and maybe that's a path. Maybe like mm -hmm. there's a business kind of hook to this right. that's micro, that's helping local communities, that's strong. Anyway, I don't want to take up the time from the other panelists, but, uh, but this is very much, it sounded very much like a very strong radio pitch, mm -hmm. and how do, you, how do you put the podcast code on, as I think, right. and probably more than we can talk about in the eight minutes. But. Yeah. Um, yeah, I agree. I could really, I could hear this as like a, you know, an all things considered like 10 week special or something where every, you know, once a week yes. you do like a five minute thing with a character from um, the energy industry. I think it was a great pitch. It, it, the tape was great. You're obviously working with really t talented producers and the characters were amazing and they're people that we don't often hear from, especially in podcasts. Um, I think you mentioned that your audience is everyone who is, is, is people who are curious about where their power comes from, which is everyone. And I would disagree with that. Um, I think that it's a massive challenge to make any content about, about energy or the environment. Like, I, I, am, I will almost never find, you know, compelling writing uh, on the environment, and even if I do, I, I don't know that I don't know it's there because I'm just if I see that something's about like global warming, I'm just not that interested in it. Um, I mean, it's obviously like a, <laughs> a big issue that we need to talk about, but uh, it's I'm not like you know I don't think people are really seeking out content about these things. So I feel like to make something like this successful, it has to be more character driven, yeah. and it can't be as issue driven. So like. I would be really interested in something like this if you turned it into like I, th I think something that's going to become more and more popular is sort of like reality style 
uh, podcasts and like reality style radio. So um, something where you like find a really interesting family who's like deeply within this business mm -hmm. and you really follow them so that it's really about those characters. And when people are talking about it, it's about you know this amazing like family that you're just kind of following that you know I don't I think with these reality style things they don't necessarily have to have an amazing beginning middle and end when you're starting out but like I would love to hear yeah some kind of like six to ten episode like really like deeply embedded series if I hear that like something that a podcast is about energy I'm not going to listen to it but if I hear that it's about like you know a, a great group of characters I will definitely listen to it I would also say sorry I don't want to go too much longer but don't do every other week I would say um, people when they're listening to podcasts they really get on a schedule and I think the way to think of this is like if people listen to five podcasts in a week you have to have one that's like so good that it kicks out their like regular Monday podcast and replaces it <laughs> with yours um, and so so think about it weekly. People listen to podcasts kind of the way that they consume television, mm -hmm. which is like they Jen, want it on have, a schedule. We have to move on. Yeah, yeah, please. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. That's some good moderating. <laughs> um, I agree with a lot of, of what, what you guys said. I, um, yeah, it was such a strong pitch in many ways. And, you know, I thought, I mean, I, I would be interested in a podcast about the coal mining roller derby family. Totally. And, you know, I, I saw that and I, you know, I wrote down roller derby. But when I hear backstory, I, like you mentioned something like the backstory of things, I think that that's a, that tends to be sort of an overused um, yeah. notion that does feel a little bit more like um, a news segment, like the backstory behind. And like you said, I'm not necessarily like interested in the backstory behind things, but um, I think you face the challenge, you already know this, like the challenge that everybody covering climate and energy is facing, which is how to get people to be interested in something that will destroy us all imminently. And, um, and, you could and, and it's, and it's like, it's, it's hard. I mean, I know a lot of people who are trying to do this in, in print and in radio. And so I think that, that you should keep trying to crack it. And I do think that, that one of the ways to start doing it is, is character driven. And I think about the election and I think about Trump and I think about the co like coal mining families and, and the confusing thing around all of that. And when you said 30% of our energy comes from coal and the roller derby coal family, I thought there is something there. Uh, I had very, similar thoughts about reality podcasting Paula, I might too. have to cut you off. Oh in like Whoa. Sorry about that. <laughs> all right, you owe me. Anyway, uh, that's what I think you should do. Um, really agree with everything that's been said. Um, you use the term at the, spot, at the top of it. You're like, um, it's like a spinachy. What's yeah. your yeah? You spinachified your pitch. The the strongest stuff in your, in your pitch all happened after the three minute mark. You talked about data sonification, the roller derby, the energy quiz trivia show. Like, like I I know you guys can tell stories that will make people care about energy, and it sounds like that's the work you're already doing, but you bury that way late into your pitch. Right. So I would bring that stuff way up earlier, because it sounds like you're already trying really, your team is trying really hard to make it fun and make it accessible. So you want to make sure like, you're really highlighting that up top. Um, I would also say, um, I would be wary of having rotating hosts. People want like yeah, yeah, people yeah. want to develop a relationship, and people do develop like sometimes intense relationships with the hosts of the right. podcast that people don't even know that happens. But um, so I think having rotating hosts on top of this having this subject matter that can be a little bit hard to access would be um, make your challenge even difficult, more difficult. 
Thank you all. Thank, Thank you. you With nine seconds to spare, give it up for Alyssa Barba. Thank you. <laughs> Next up, pitcher number three is Nicole Kelly, and she's pitching Bitch Face. Woo! Nicole is a writer, a Libra. Happy birthday, Nicole. Thanks. <laughs> a feminist and the programming and outreach coordinator at the Women's Center for Creative Work in LA. Hi. So I make a podcast called Bitch Face. Bitch Face is about moving through the world as a woman, femme, or gender nonconforming person. It's about making art with a marginalized identity or body, and it's sometimes about us, our lives, our experiences, our ideas, and our obsessions. If you like Bitch Face, you're probably a feminist. Uh, you probably were not surprised by the results of the last election, and you're likely critical of capitalism and really bored by heteronormativity. We don't follow a formula. No two episodes of Bitch Face are, have ever been the same. We combine interviews, audio documentaries, essays, and original fiction with a queer and feminist point of view that's smart, original, weird, experimental, and funny. <laughs> I just want you to tell me when I sound dorky. I want to sound cool and tough. I want to sound fucking tough and cool. Yeah, I want people to think I'm a bad bitch. <laughs> hey. Hey. This is Bitch Face. For this episode, we're talking about protagonism and the gaze. The male gaze, the female gaze, the queer gaze. We've gotten pretty interested in taking dominant cultural narratives and subverting them. That's what we were thinking about when we made that last episode about hitchhiking. Very few road stories are ever told about women. Boys and men are written as agents of change, but there's no space within patriarchy for female narratives of quests. A man on the road is solitary, Miselka writes. A woman on the road is just alone. And also, when we see a greater range of stories about female experiences, it creates possibilities for ourselves in our own minds. This is the story of how I wound up in the penthouse suite of the Hyatt Hotel in Huntington Beach having sex for two days straight with three people I hardly knew. <laughs> the code switching is sitting in meetings where white people are being slightly racist, overly racist, all the way racist, <laughs> jokingly saying things like 50 cents instead of 50 cents. I am the one and only, Big Free to the Queen Diva, your best of believer, the international superstar representing from New Orleans, Louisiana. This is my grandma. What do you mean? What's wrong? You are his wife. I said, yes, but I am me. I am Eva. I'm not Mrs. Herbert. Herbert is the one with the hairy chest, not me. <laughs> She's surprised that in 2016, I still feel fucked with sometimes because of my gender. To get an interview with my mom, I had to make an appointment. Hello? Mom? Going to Mexico City and interviewing Las Hijas de Violencia. Yes, loved it. They're the ones who shoot confetti guns at cat collars in Mexico City. Okay, so we make the art, the media that we want to see in the world. An alternative to the white, straight, Middle class, <laughs> middle class point of view that is overrepresented in mainstream media, even feminist media made by women. Why bitch face? Why now? 
Um, our audience is growing. We've been recommended in the Anne Friedman Weekly twice, and the episode we made about hitchhiking to Vegas will be in Radiotopia's The Heart next Tuesday. Um, yeah, our primary audience is radical women, but Bitchface does appeal to all kinds of people. Straight white dudes often call the Bitchface hotline because they're gluttons for punishment. Um, but <laughs> let's be real, our vibe is not really right for NPR, but we have a million ideas, and we're really good at making limited resources go really far. We've made seven episodes at the budget of like $72 so far. <laughs> In the words of, of a good friend, Behind every good man are 12 exhausted feminines. Oh my god! <laughs> let's never say that again. Let's, let's not say the words straight white men anymore in this class. We're answering all your burning questions about relationships, intimacy, relationship anarchy, polyamory, monogamy, and the couple form. Just give us a call at 406 a bitch Hey dude, this is Caitlin from The Heart. Just listened to your hitchhiking episode and it made me fucking cry in a good way. <laughs> I struck my boyfriend with homemade explosives and blew him up. His flesh spread everywhere, so did my affection. Um, so, Bitchface is hosted and co produced by me, Nicole Kelly, and also my, uh, my partner, my art wife, Phoebe Under, who's in the audience. <laughs> Should we start with Paula just to change it up? You want, you want me to start? Start, Carrie. Yeah, why not? Um, you had me at bitch face. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, love, I love the title. I think that I love the attitude. I thought your pitch was great. Um, I, I liked that you uh, knew your audience so specifically. Um, as I was listening, I literally was saying to myself, she should talk to Caitlin at the heart. This would be great. And, and so I was really happy that, that's, that you mentioned that. Um, but it was clear you had some, you, you just had some good attitude. The questions that I had were, well, first of all, I was distracted by the amount of music. And that's just like the um, legal operational hat that I wear sometimes, so just know that. <laughs> um, but the second thing is, I was trying to understand if your audience could be bigger than you've pegged it. Um, and so one of the things that I think has been amazing about what Caitlin's done at the heart is that you can be a woman who is uh, 55 and a, and a woman who is 20 and somehow relate to something she's saying, even though she's not necessarily making her show for either specific one. So that's what I was thinking about when you were listening, and I, I was wondering if you've pegged it a little too narrow. Um, I know that's different than what we, how we reacted to the other pitches, but that's what I thought. Um, but I thought it was like just the right amount of attitude and sass. I really enjoyed it. Thank you. Thank you, Karen. Um, yeah, really good pitch. The show sounds awesome. Um, and I'm just really glad that so many people are doing cool podcasts uh, independently right now. It's really awesome. Um, I really appreciated that you made a montage of the show. But at the same time, I would have... I think I almost would have rather heard a scene from the show because I'm not totally getting what the production style is. Like, I, I'm not sure if it's an interview show or if it's like a highly produced, edited thing. So, um, it's, it's what? It's both. Okay, yeah. Um, it was just a little hard to tell with like a montage. So that might just be something to think about when you're pitching it around. Um, 
a lot, the rest of my notes are more on the content and not necessarily the pitch. So we could talk about that later. Because I, yeah, we, we should. Um, I went over my time last time, so I'm going to turn it to you. <laughs> uh, yeah, I agree. I thought that was a, it, the pitch had a, a real tone to it. It felt like um, uh, uh, there was something very artistic and experimental about the feel of um, your script of what you were saying and what I was hearing um, and different in that sense. So I, I was left feeling like there's something here that feels very interesting and different. I had a, I had a question though really about, yeah, like I couldn't, t it says co-host and co-producer, but I wasn't sure sort of what happens in each episode and I don't think right. it needs to be the same thing. I'm just saying I wasn't sure. So pitch wise, I think that goes back to my feeling of like, this show is about blank. In this show, this happens. Um, and, because all the things you said, it's about this and it's about this, and that's about a lot of things. Um, and so it could start to feel a little bit unwieldy. Um, and so I would, I would just think about it. It's, there's probably a, a framing of the show that you want to think about is how you would sit down and literally just this, this is what this show is and this is what it does. And I agree with Carrie about thinking about your audience and how to, how to have touch points for people who um, may not see themselves um, in the way you describe the audience, but, um, but a lot of what you're talking about will resonate with them. And it is that idea of having a show that in a way is made for people like the people making it, but that um, also is recognizes that there is a potential giant audience out there mm -hmm. um, to tap that 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 you want to because you want to move people and you want to move people who aren't already in your you know who aren't already bought in and I think that's that that's that's the goal for me um, so that's just something to think about um, but really really powerful presentation yeah. Um, I already said this before downstairs, but I want to again acknowledge your amazing jumpsuit. Um, I also, uh, I, I, I appreciate you saying like, maybe we're not for NPR. And that's also very fine. Not everything needs to be on NPR. Uh, but I also think like, I am like a target demo, right? A demographic for your, um, for your show. And I think as others have said, um, you have probably a, a really big potential for growth because voices that were once like marginalized are the voices that are like, kind of like people, the ones that are like really pushing the culture right now, as Heaven and Tracy said last night in their show, like the funniest people are black people on Twitter, which I fully believe. Um, and so I feel like in some way, like your, your show can have a ginormous reach. Um, I like that you played audio and that wasn't just a scene. I do think you need to just make sure you set up as like, this is like a montage of stuff. Cause I was like, at first I was like one long clip. I was like, Me no, too. I'm listening to different things. I also think you played too much. I want to hear more from you. Um, oh, and about you, your vision for the show. So I, I, like, I felt like I got a sense of what your show is, but from a pitch, I want to know what do you want for the show? How do you want to grow it? Where do you think it's going to go? And I feel like I didn't get enough of that um, because I think, you know, obviously we're all charmed by it. I'm going to go home and subscribe to it on yeah, my phone. Totally. But um, <laughs> I need to know more about like, what do you, you know, what more do you want to do? Mm -hmm. um, and I think also in terms of framing it, not that maybe you would do a like on a website, describe it, but um, in a pitching session, like 
it's very much like this kind of like zine culture, right? Like it is everything all at once and that's the good thing about it. Like if it came to NPR, we'd probably be like, we should have this set format. That's maybe that's why it's not good for NPR, right? But like um, really own what makes it strong and that, that variety is, is part of that. But you also want to, I think, make sure you're framing it, as Paula said, in a way that people really get. Mm -hmm. Good job. Let's give it up yeah. for Nicole and her jumpsuit. <laughs> I could have gone another 50 uh, seconds. I can tell her later. Next, <laughs> Next up, we have Diana Wong, and she's, um, she's pitching a podcast called Sample Space. Diana founded Hira Media last year, and Sample Space is the first in its, in its network of podcasts. There are three amazing men in your life and they follow you everywhere you go. Ira, Jad, Roman. <laughs> You're obsessed with their stories, and you find comfort in the intimacy, the voices, the details that remind you of your summers RVing through Florida with your family, the Lego set you got for Santa that Christmas morning, swimming in the lake by the cottage, reaching out to tickle those little fish with your little fingers then you're suddenly struck with a sense of panic. Your chest tightens, and the whole world falls down to a murmur. You feel like you have amnesia. You start to forget the color of your family's RV. You can't feel the sharp edges of that Lego set from Christmas. And then you realize, those weren't your stories. This isn't your reality. Your family didn't have an RV, and you never believed in Santa Claus. Your parents, who fled Vietnam as refugees on boats, were too afraid of water to even bring you to the pool, much less a lake. These stories don't reflect your reality or the realities of the people around you. So as much as you love this American life and its stories, as much as you connect and understand with that shared humanity at their core, there was always something missing. So you start your own show. Stories for and from women, people of color, LGBTQ folks, immigrants, and people of different abilities, cultures, ethnicities, and privileges. This is Sample Space by Here Media. My name is Diana Wong, and today we have three acts centered around one theme. Of course, you talk about all the issues people expect you to talk about, because they're important. And so obviously, because I had told her the truth, she raised her hand in class very high and said, isn't it true that Christopher Columbus was a rapist and a murderer? <laughs> you talk about feeling different. Why are you trying so hard to force me to be Chinese? I don't want to be Chinese. I want to be white because everyone around me is white. And I don't know what it's like to have a community. I didn't grow up with one. If I'd had one, maybe I would have not had years of self-loathing and rejection of myself, my family, and my culture. And sometimes you talk about things that maybe you shouldn't talk about. She was like, you take a shower head, you put it on the jet boat, and then you stick it down there and, until it feels good, and then you come. That's when I was like, oh, shit. I've been doing that for years. 
you find moments of resilience. So now I got through the whole taboo thing, I got through the shame, I got through the stigma, now it was time for action. And moments of hope. And my hope is that not only will I find a place that I belong, I'm indigenous and settler, but I hope and I wish for all settler people and indigenous people to find that place that, that they can say they belong. But then you realize you can't do this alone. You can't single-handedly change the narrative around women, people of color, immigrants. So you pitch your podcast on stage <laughs> at an incredible conference. And you ask your audience to join you in creating a new media for a new America. One that reflects these voices, these stories, these realities, because they too are a part of our American life. I'm Diana Wong. This is Sample Space. Thank you for listening. Oh boy. Nice. And, and Diana, what's your ask? Because we have 43 seconds left. I have three asks and three minutes of your time, this entire audience. Number one, think of three people in your network, friends, family, people you work with, people you go to the gym with, and share them. Share this podcast with them, people who appreciate this kind of podcast. My second ask, think about our next season. Feel free to send me an email to talk about all the issues that we want to cover. And the third, as people who produce content, all the people here, think about the privileges and the voices and the perspectives that are in your room and how they do or don't reflect the reality and the America that you wish to see and how you can change that. Thank you. Should we start with Nigeri this time to change it up? Well, we have to start with Paula or Jenna. Let's do Paula. That was my... Okay. Um, That was a great pitch. That was very meta. Mm -hmm. It's like, it was like your podcast, but also your pitch at the same time. (laughs) It took me a while to figure it out. Um, And I think um, some of the stuff I heard was really interesting and I wanted to hear more. Um, I think one of the questions I have, and I love your art, um, by the way, and I love that you, that, that the pitch very much started with, again, I mean, I, I'm, I, I think understanding where you're coming from and the, begin, the origin story of the podcast just helps to sort of frame who you are because, I mean, it's like Carrie was saying earlier, you know, we make decisions about what we want to do based on the people less than the idea. And I think one of the things that was really persuasive about your pitch is like, you seem like someone, you know, who has stage presence, a great voice, and, uh, and someone I would want to hear more of. So that's very important. Um, one of the questions I had is, it is how much of a kitchen sink is it? Um, you know, I mm-hmm. think you listed off a, like a sort of broad, you know, women, people of color, LGBTQ, and, and, and I will say, we do get a lot of pitches, I get a lot of pitches that cover that ground. And so I think you need to be really mindful that um, there are other people who, who might, whose pitches might sound similar to yours, which is stories um, from non-white, non-men, et cetera, and that resonate with, with, with those people. And so I think as, 
that your show might be actually amazing and better than any of those, but I think you risk coming across sounding too similar to all those. And I think it's important to think about what sets you apart. And, and it's funny because we were talking about with Bitchface, like um, having it resonate with a broader audience. And in some ways, I'm kind of saying the opposite to you, which is think clearly about what your show is and isn't. And right now, it's stories from a wide group of people. So I don't know how to like, I, I, I don't know how that is different from other things that are out there. So I think you're doing yourself a disservice because I think the things that I heard are very interesting, yeah. but the packaging that you gave me feels um, potentially too um, non-specific. if that helps, if that makes sense. Yeah. Should we go to Jenna? Sure, yeah, I totally agree. Um, I think it, I loved what you did up here. It was an awesome presentation. Um, and it made me really interested in, in the show, and I definitely plan to listen to it. But yeah, I did feel like it could be... I, I didn't know totally what the show was about and that it could be more focused. And I get the same thing, like a lot of pitches that are kind of similar to this, um, where it's like, you know, we're going to talk about these groups of people, but like, well, I'm, and I'm kind of like, well, what about those groups of people? Um, so, but I really love that you're thinking about this, about the space. And I love that, I mean, I mentioned this in the last panel I was on here, but, um, I think that there are really massive audiences that aren't having content made for them in the podcast space. And the more that we can really dive into audiences that haven't yet had content made, the better off we'll be. Um, there's also revenue potential there because people, you know, to be honest, like people, you can make money when new audiences are coming into the space for sure and you know it's not just women and people of color um it's also like there isn't content for children so i think like when when you're making any i mean now there's a few there are a few things but when you're making anything it's good to think of like is is this a new audience um that will like really appreciate having content that's made specifically for them so i'm glad you're thinking that way i just wanted to add one more thing is that we launched a show this year called nancy um and broadly speaking so yeah, good. it's a great show. You got to listen to Makes it. Kathy cry. too will be. <laughs> it's a laugh, laugh, cry, laugh format. But um, but you know, it the it, the pitch could have been you know I mean in one sense the pitch was like it's an LGBTQ show, you know, and and that was that was pretty broad. But um, what it sort of became was a the a, a a show about how we define ourselves and the journey it takes to get there. So it really became a show about. Yes, it's an LGBTQ show, but the but the focus is, and it helps us decide what to do in every episode. Is um, what what learning about yourself, relearning about yourself, how everything sort of changes that you think was one thing and changes over time. So, um, as told through the lens of LGBTQ people. So, I think that's that. It's a it's it's a hard challenge, but I just it reminded me of that process that we went through with Nancy a little bit. Mm -hmm. Should we go to Nigeria? Um, I just want to come in on, on having a really different pitching style. Like yeah. those, it's like a, those yeah. very narr like a narrative pitch. You were the first person to step away from the lectern to face the audience. I mean, really, your whole pitch was towards the audience, right? Including your ass, which is like I was like, I wrote down. I was like, what a, we can? What are your ass for us? <laughs> we we want to help. What ways can we help? Right. So take advantage of that too. Right. Um, I do think. Yeah. You're, I think I I agree with that. Like your the way you talked about it seemed like. Kitchen sink, like, oh, these are everyone's stories. But, and I don't think that's wrong. 
um, necessarily. I think it's about how you frame it. So like for, uh, um, for NPR, we uh, acquired Radio Melante. And they don't put this on their material and like necessarily everywhere, but they say like it's like a Spanish language of this American life, right? Um, and they're covering Latino uh, stories about uh, Latin America, Central America, all throughout the and and Latino stories here in the U.S. So um, you know, I think you could say like sample space is a, a this American life, but for the reality of the new America, and then we get it much more. It, and it seems less like you're trying to tell everybody's story. It's like you're telling story for the America of what it looks like now, not say what what we were told it currently looks like. Mm -hmm. And I think that's powerful. Um, and um, also, when you said like, there's three men in our life that we love, and <laughs> talk about Ira and Roman, I was like, I'm, I don't fangirl over those guys. Am I wrong? <laughs> like, am I? <laughs> so when you made that turn, yeah. it was effective. But at first, I was like, I am not the audience for this already. So you don't have to like, you know, I I, I love the turn you talked about, um, but um, since I'm kind of a target audience, like you don't necessarily have to give them so much space at the top of your pitch. Mm -hmm. I, I have a couple of thoughts. I really agree with the other panelists, but I, I thought of a couple things. Um, I like that you spoke to the audience because mm -hmm. I, um, I thought that that was a way for you to make your time here engaging. And so I, and, and these, these are, this is your audience. And so I actually kind of like that you did that. I thought you used the uh, narrate to tape um, style that like was definitely a panel discussion yesterday. I thought you used that artfully. And it's risky if you did not get on this stage and practice your tapes, which I know you didn't. Um, so I thought that was like risky and it worked. So congratulations on that very good narrate to tape style. Um, I, I also think that it's important for uh, you to describe your show not in what it isn't, but what it is. And, in, and there's some techniques that you can do, use to do that. One is you can just use the from to style, which is I'm going from this to this is one. I was a, I was a fangirl of these, and now I am going that. So that's one kind of structure you can make in a, use in a pitch. But the other is sort of the problem solving, which is like this is the world as we know it now. And here are the limits of that world, and here's my promise. And like, so think about it in those three chunks. Um, and, and given the time frame that you're working in, it's almost hard to it's, get it's, all that in. It's although, time to wrap it up, you guys. I'm so sorry, <laughs> Carrie. Sorry. I was like, really ironic. Ironic. <laughs> all right. Well done. Give it up, sorry. Like need that music for the judges. Yeah, I know. Yeah. We need 10 second music. <laughs> it's hardcore up here. We had no, where's the yeah, music? I'm, get, I'm getting signals from the, we need no the music problem. backstage. I yeah. wanted the like menacing music. Yeah. That was going to be my cue. Um, so we have pitch number five. She's Hillary Ray. Let's give it up for Hillary. Yay! Just the last one? Hillary is the founder of Tell Me a Story in Philadelphia. She's a comedic storyteller, a lady, boss, a lady boss of her own company, and has been making audio since May 2016. I'm going to start with some tape. So do you remember at Passover one year when I got stabbed with a dessert knife and had to go to the hospital? You got what? Stabbed with a dessert knife. <laughs> Yeah, and I had to get stitches. 
I have no, I don't remember, I really do not remember this at all. <laughs> That's so crazy. You're not the only one, though. So this is Rosh Oman, a podcast where one family tells every side of the same story. And this started as a live storytelling event with the family that you just heard, with a combination of family members telling live stories on stage, with audio clips of extra interviews in between where the audience listened in the dark. And I had this idea before I even knew what the word Rashomon was. And for those that don't know, it's a film from 1950, a Japanese film where you hear a story from four different perspectives. And it's also a term in family therapy. So I took that whole idea and I came up with my own interpretation. You just listened to Rashomon, a podcast where one family tells every side of the same story. I'm Hillary Ray, your host. In each episode, I'll introduce you to a new family and an event that they all experienced. Whether it's one they were all witness to or one that trickled through the family over time, everyone's perspective will be heard. Once you listen to all sides, you can create your own story. So I'm in the middle of making this now. My vision is that I'll release it in seasons of 10 episodes and I guess bi-weekly with 15 to 30 minutes per episode. I'm the host, but every episode will have a different family, as you heard. So I want to talk about audience because what I was really excited about yesterday is the idea of a cross-generational audience. And my dream is that whoever is the initial person that listens, so I imagine perhaps a millennial podcast enthusiast, then really wants to share it with their immediate family. And then once their immediate family hears it, they share it with their extended family and other families. And so we have a podcast family tree listening party of sorts. And I really want there to be families involved in both the making of the episodes, which is already happening, and in the listening process. This is um, my name is Katie Bieber. I'm 18 years old and a senior in high school. I have an older brother. I'm Max. I just finished up my third year at Sonoma State University. Um, my mom, her name's Sydney. She's a web designer. My name is Sydney Bieber, and uh, oh boy, I don't know what to say about myself. And my dad is named Paul, and he does like arson investigation type thing. I don't really know the formal job title, because <laughs> it's like a whole lot of things. I spent 15 years in the fire department, and most of us had nicknames, and a few people, their wives had nicknames. There are people that I worked with in the fire department that don't know my wife's name. They only know her by the nickname, The Lovely Bride. So the lovely bride and Katie and Max and I live in San Jose, California. That's one of the families featured on the first episode and they also were part of the recording process and actually listened to the episode in separate rooms on separate headphones but timed themselves to start at the same time so that they could hear each other responding to it, which I thought was a cool way to listen. So beyond the podcast, I want to continue doing live story selling shows because that's what I do and I would like to have a new family every time. This is the family of the live storytelling show that we did and also the idea of families doing Instagram takeovers where we get more insight into their life as a family. And then my hope is to have audio or video postcards with the reaction of once they've listened to the episode because they haven't heard each other's perspectives before then, what do they feel about this story now? I'm making this completely on my own and I don't want that to be the case. So my hope is to get collaborators both in the call for families, the editing process, and I have a musician I'd like to work with and an artist I'd like to work with for sound design and artwork. And I need the funds to do this because I want to pay everyone that's involved in the making of this, including myself. 
And that's my hope. <laughs> uh, I haven't released it yet, but I put a secret landing page up for anyone that wants to listen to the first two episodes. It's up there. And I'm just going to play us out with one final clip of Stan, who's who you heard in the first little bit. I, I, I simply do not remember who's asking. Beth. Who? Beth. That's it. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. Should we start with Jenna? Sure. With me? Yeah. Okay. Change it up. Um, this was totally my favorite pitch of the day. Um, I think you're the last, too, so last but not least. Uh, it's, and the reason I love it is because you have a really fabulous... I never, I've never said that word out loud. Um, <laughs> fabulous. You have, like, a really amazing... Well, you did when you were describing the jumpsuit. <laughs> <laughs> you have a great concept. Like, it's... 90% of the pitches we get are like, hey, I have good stories that I want to tell. And that's, like, not an actual concept. So this is, like... I love it. It's, like, first of all, there's a great story built in because you're kind of going to families and being like, what's a crazy story that's happened to you guys told from many different angles. It's completely like original. I haven't heard anything like it. Um, I loved it. Uh, I would say, and I, I really appreciate that you talked about like money and what you would need to make this a reality. Um, one thing I would work on just from a content stance is the narration and the music. I think this is something that, that a lot of people do is like they'll read the narration and it's obviously read. I think the best thing to do when you're narrating a podcast, read something to yourself, move the, move the writing away from you, and then recite it from memory um, so that it sounds much, more, it just sounds a lot more conversational that way. So that's the only thing that I would, you know, change on it. I, I like the production. I like the fast, the like fast kind of radio labby speed of things where you're cutting really quickly. It's awesome. It was great. A lot of potential. Carrie? Yeah. You can clap. It's good for her. <laughs> um, I, I agree uh, with Chen. I really enjoyed this. I like that you started with tape. I thought that was great. I like the, I liked the, um, the name. I thought that was a clever tie-in. I can easily see the Instagram and associated photo components. I could get there very quickly. I liked that. Um, I like that you have the ability to do some follow-up. Uh, like, you know, just a return to the story with the family. I, I also like that you said what you need. The one caution I would make is I, I, was, I wasn't sure if it was all going to be funny mm. or if it was going to, like some of these stories that families have misperceptions of are tragic. And so I was wondering how you would handle that or what, what your intent is. And I also thought to be careful of the trap of like, the clueless dad. Just be careful of, of that in every episode because... It's only it, in that it, one. Okay, good, because it just gets old. Yeah. So, there are a lot uh, of clueless dads out there. Yeah, <laughs> well, this, this is fair. <laughs> Call central casting. We need, a, we need a clueless dad. All right, well Hi, done. Um, yeah, good pitch. Um, I have a question. Um, so what you played for us, especially I think the second tape, you know, it's quickly cutting between family members. Was that tape cut that way for the benefit of the pitch or is that how the show is? Yeah, it's, it's the way the family was introduced within the full narrative of the story. I found it hard to pull something that like 
was the actual so, show. I guess because my yeah. my um because my question is like as a film studies major yeah. film nerd, um, if it's truly Rashomon like, right? Like the daughter would tell her whole version, and then dad would tell her his whole version. Right? Is it like that or no? Each episode's gonna be different depending on the story. I guess that's why I'm saying with the name, it's inspired by, and, and I've had some film people also question me. I know, we're, we're super nerdy like that. But that's why the tagline's every side of the same story, because it's not always gonna be a differing, differing perspective. It's just multiple perspectives. Okay, yeah, because for me, that, that, I think that's where the hangup is, right? So yeah. if you know that term, yeah. you, have very, you have very specific Literal. expectations going into mm -hmm. it. Um, so, it might, I would say you might want to consider a name change because people either have that, like me, like pretty firm, or people don't know what that term is at all. So they might be like, I have no idea what that means. That word is completely foreign to me. I'm not going to click on it. And like names and, you know, yeah. logos are like half the battle of getting someone to listen. Yeah. Um, I also really did appreciate like your point, your slideshow, which is super helpful. Like, this is what it is. This is what the concept is. This is what I need. Like, like right on for a pitch. Um, I, I, I love the concept in many ways. I love family dramas in general. I immediately thought of um, the celebration and, mm -hmm. or celebration, um, which reminded me of, is that the, it's like the Danish movie where they yeah. all gather mm -hmm. and then it's like, oh, you know, he tells the daddy he molested him and it's like, <laughs> well, but it made movie. me think of what <laughs> Carrie was saying is like, is this funny? Is this not? And I think, so there are two things that I thought of. One is, um, how can things unfold in, in an episode where I'm not just hearing their versions, but there is um, some discovery among the people there about those versions, and I feel like that's where the surprise and the tension will come from, because there's, there's always humor in people who remember things differently, like that's, you're, that's funny. Um, but that's just one tool in your toolbox, right? And so, um, how do you get it from people talking at me and telling me something to um, discovering things in that regard? And I think there's, and then the other thing I thought of, which I would like to see in the pitch, is how the hell are you gonna pull this off, right? So I immediately, and again, this might be like the suit talking, but like how do you find these families? And so you have to find new families for every episode, and each person in that family has to be a good talker, or you know the majority of them. Um, and there, and I want some. I want to feel moved or surprised, or think about my own family, or or something cinematic in a way. Um, and so I just I just think that's something to think about. And you might have the answer, but I think it should come in your pitch and you might you know explain to me like how you've done it before and how you plan to do it um because i'm thinking of like the like just the 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 production cost of this whole thing just seems very difficult and finding the people week after week or season after season um so that's just a problem to just think about uh, but overall i mean if you if you were able to to tackle that then i would be like very excited to hear the show and you know again if family dramas are just comedy drama whatever i just I think that people, you have a, everybody has a family, so it's 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 resonant. Can you say one more quick thing? Because yeah. you talked about that Danish film, and Carrie's wanted to start talking about like not just having light films. I, I think it's weird they were all like coming from dark places. But I thought about uh, that David Carr book, Night of the Gun. 
Have you ever read that? No. It's just, he was, you know, had a drinking problem, and um, there's a, I can't remember if it, like, he shot someone, or, like, he just, I can't remember what it was, but he, like, blacked out one night, and the whole book is, like, kind of uncovering, like, what happened that night of the gun, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and talking to all these different people in his life about who he was, where was he at that point, and it was really, oh. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. I'd like the five, pres- the five pictures to come out and take a bow, please. Nicole, Misha, Diana, can you guys all come out? Where is everyone? Can we give them a round of applause harder, please? It takes a lot of courage to come up here. Thank you. Thank you, guys. That was Nigri Eaton, Carrie Hoffman, Paula Schumann, Jenna Weisberman, and Anayanti Diaz-Cortez speaking at the 2017 Work It Festival. Both the festival and the podcast are produced by WNYC Studios and are made possible by a grant from the Corporation for Public Broadcasting with additional support from the Annenberg Foundation. Event sponsors include Cole Hahn, Mac Cosmetics, and thirdlove.com. <laughs>